Welcome, everybody, back to the Council on the Future of Education podcast. Uh, we're taking a little break from our interview series here, and we've got a, uh, a colleague here with us, Lennon Audrain. I hope I pronounced that correctly. And uh, I've got my colleague, Keith Reeves, with us, one of the founders on the Council on the Future of Ed. Hello, Keith. Hey, Rob. How you doing? Doing great. Okay, so let me read a little bio here on Lennon. Uh, Lennon Audrain is an academic junior at Arizona State University studying Latin and secondary education. He currently serves as the National Student President of Educators Rising, which represents over 35 high school and collegiate students who are interested in pursuing teaching. Lennon earned an Associate's in Arts degree in elementary education from Rio Salado College five months before he graduated from his high school with Brophy College Preparatory in Phoenix, Arizona. So that's uh, quite quite a resume there, Lennon, for uh, being a young guy. <laughs> Thank you. So what we want to talk about today um, with you, Lennon and, and Keith, is the idea of, you know, the Council on the Future of Education talks about what it's going to be like in the future for education? What do we want to see changed? What do we need to see changed uh, in order for our students to be prepared for a very unknown future of their own? Um, and, and I guess you know, all of us have our opinions on what education will be, but it's a very interesting idea from Lennon's standpoint in terms of how are we preparing these teachers now? Because these teachers that are in colleges now, freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors in college who want to come out and be teachers, they're going to teach for 30, 35 years. Think of, think of the insanely different atmosphere they're going to have in teaching. And how do we prepare them for that? Lennon, do you have any ideas or thoughts on that? Definitely. So when we look at teacher preparation uh, in other countries, it's rigorous and there are lots of opportunities for hands-on experience. And so one of the ways that, uh, you know, we're starting to help prepare the next generation of teachers is by giving them preparation starting in high school. So instead of just waiting until their sophomore or even their junior year of their education programs in college, uh, educators rising and states across the United States um, are giving students the opportunity to explore teaching as a profession in high school. They learn best teaching practices. They go out and complete practicums within classrooms. And they experience what it means to be a teacher early on so they can start to develop those necessary tools to be successful in the classroom later on. Keith. You know, Lennon, one of the things that I'm curious about um, looking at Educators Rising as an organization, which for those of you who are listening aren't aware, has uh, several key partners, including the National Education Association and the National Board for Professional Teaching Standards, um, the folks who do national boards. One of the things that stood out for me was that uh, amongst your standards um, is the principles of social justice and, and advocacy, special, specifically advocating for kids. As somebody who has a great passion myself, and I know that Rob does too, um, for uh, radical teaching practices, radical pedagogy, um, and social justice-centered work kind of in the style of Henry Giroux. I'm curious as to uh, what you think is most lacking from teacher preparation programs around these issues and what uh, higher education institutions need to hear from you uh, as to what they can do better to address these core principles. 
Right. And so, uh, you know, partnering with these different organizations really gives us insight as to not only what a best teaching practice looks like, but where it needs to be implemented and where it can be implemented best. And so, especially when examining the the composition of educators rising, we have over 50% of our members being teachers of color. And we know from research and countless uh, different studies that show us that when a student has a teacher that looks like them, that thinks like them um, in more ways than one, and that can be color, their achievement can improve and flourish. And so from the social justice side of it, one thing that Educators Rising is really striving for is an increase in teachers of color. And whether that be collegiate uh, teacher preparation programs, recruiting teachers of color more, or having these teacher preparation academies like Educators Rising in higher uh, higher minority areas, that's just one area of social justice that Educators Rising is looking in to help. So I have a question. I'm going to move the topic a little bit towards um, the idea of preparing these teachers coming out of college, even though I know, Lennon, you'd said you're starting even earlier in high school, which I think is fabulous. But my concern and my thought is this, and I want to hear both of your opinions on this. Um, a traditional college experience uh, usually has at the end of your, say, junior or end of your senior year, you go to what we so lovingly call student teaching. Um, the student teaching experience um, and, and, and really having gone through the student teaching experience myself, you definitely learn a lot during that experience. And even 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 I would say you start to begin to form your identity as a teacher during that student teaching experience. However, from my perspective, um, we're putting a lot of. Uh, student teachers in with cooperating teachers who are still extraordinarily traditional um, don't necessarily get on board with the idea of being a future prepared teacher because they're looking at maybe eh, three, four, five more years. I'm out. Uh, I hear that often whenever you're talking to teachers, like I don't need to learn this new stuff because I'm not going to be here by the time it becomes important. Um, and, 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 and that really concerns me because it seems like we're, we're teaching these kids at the university level, um, maybe some, some new ideas, new concepts, but then they're going in and their very first experience is with this non-future teacher. Um, and I think that's really causes a problem uh, coming out the door for being our future generation of teachers. Uh, Keith, let's hear you first on that. Well, I have empathy for this because my student teaching experiences, which were pretty extensive, the Ithaca College School of Music has a really rigorous history of student teaching. But I'd describe the recipe for my student teaching as one part miserable, two parts miseducative with a dash of arrogance and a pinch of usefulness. It mostly <laughs> taught me about institutional navigation. All authenticity was eradicated. And as progressive as some of the educators were that I worked with in undergrad, the actual application of authentic and progressive pedagogy was pretty absent. So one of the things that I would like to see, um, one of the things that I am uh, have long advocated, and this may come as a surprise to some people who haven't heard me say this before, is I don't think that the first placement for anybody should be high school. Um, I, I have a pretty significant difficulty with that um, for a variety of reasons, but I want to see fundamental pedagogy. The reason that I, I know a lot of people protest that is, well, you know, you're talking about our most vulnerable potential learners as 
quote unquote, guinea pigs. If you're sending a person into a situation where you as a professional educator, educator, a teacher, educator, are not confident that the students have the pedagogical and managerial wherewithal, wherewithal to thrive in the classroom and to do the massively greater work than we have historically asked teachers to do in traditional pedagogy, vis-a-vis individualizing, making sure they have a solid understanding of assessment, um, really, you know, passionately caring about the individual students and their development. If you're not confident in that, then they shouldn't be in the classroom to begin with. And the, the way in which we transition people from the theory to the praxis, for me, I don't see a lot of places where that's happening really well. There are ideas about it, but I'm frustrated by uh, the inability for teacher preparation programs to be agile and to account for current and emergent research in progressive pedagogical practice. Lennon, how about you? What do you feel about it? I, I mean, I'm not sure if you've actually, it doesn't look like you have student taught yet, but what are your thoughts on this idea of being put into a classroom with a very traditional teacher of maybe 25, 30 years experience? Well, so coming from a, a heavily traditional education background, and I'm three semesters away from my student teaching experience, I do believe, however, that there is some something to be said about the tradition. As a Latin major, um, I study tradition constantly, and, and you know, exam with the, I, I study Roman history and culture, and so you know, and as a history secondary education major, it's important that we understand these these fundamental practices still, and there are still some fundamental things that I believe can be found within the traditional classroom. So there aren't uh, as much as, as radical and emerging pedagogy can be informative. There are some things and some teachers that have taught for so X amount of years, 25 years, that can still bring something useful to the table that maybe emerging or radical pedagogy just can't yet. And so that's something that we're always striving for is that yet, right? This whole idea of growth mindset. And so when we are looking at who we are placing our student teachers with, as important as it is to put them with these progressive and radical and emerging educators, it is equally important to see and to have students who are in classroom with teaching practices that might be considerably outdated so that they can see what at the same time isn't a good teaching practice. Because if a student doesn't know what the, the difference between a good and a bad teaching practice, it can be detrimental to their future practicum and their future praxis, um, as uh, Mr. Reeves was saying, of their teaching, uh, the, their art and the craft of teaching. So just from, from my perspective, um, having gone to Catholic school for 13 years, there are still some tenets of good teaching within the traditional classroom. However, it's bridging that gap between what things from the traditional classroom do we keep and what things are emerging that we can add to blend to make the classroom that is not only individualized, but effective and achieving. Keith, do you want to take a response to that or do you want me to take it? Well, one of my best friends is a, a re relatively experienced uh, Latin teacher, graduated from Virginia Tech, and we've discussed uh, classroom pedagogy on, on many occasions. So understanding that you have a similar background and some um, overlap there, I'd be interested, uh, what would be an example in 
the traditional classroom that Rob and I described, 30 kids facing the same way with a totalitarian figure at the front being moved from one incarcerated room to the next on the order of a bell, mostly lecture-based format, static resources, lacking technology integration, lacking individualized assessment. You can imagine the classroom that we're referring to when we talk about traditional pedagogy. What might be an example of something that a student would see that would be of benefit, not to say, you know, seeing bad teaching isn't instructive, but what would be an element of traditional teaching that you would say, perhaps we ought not to throw the baby out with the bathwater? Definitely the idea of, of modeling in the classroom. And so that's a very basic best teaching practice. For example, when a teacher is modeling something, especially a concept in which a student hasn't encountered it before, that might be just one example of a teaching practice that comes from their traditional classroom uh, that could be carried over into the next emerging, uh, emerging classroom. And there certainly are um, elements of teaching that we could uh, take and and keep at this. I think Keith and I would agree that they're very few and far between. Uh, Keith? I'm not going to complain about modeling, that's for sure. Um, my background is as a music educator, and without modeling, we'd be up up the creek without a paddle. There's no question about that. Um, I'm, I, I can cotton on to that. I'm not sure that modeling is uh, necessarily exclusive to the traditional classroom, but I, I take your point that there are uh, elements that good teachers have been using um, that one might say uh, uh, can continue to be a valid part of the teacher's tool belt. I would accept that as a maxim. Sure, and and um, likewise, um, there are also things that need to go that need to go yesterday, and that's sort of where Keith and I are in terms of our conversations about uh, some of the things that are so entirely antiquated that they just need to be uh, across the board taken off the table, done, no more. And and again, my concern is. Are we teaching this, the teachers of our future, our teachers that are going to be teaching our children for the next 30 years, are we preparing them in a way that they're going to be ready to deal with a child that none of us can, can really fathom? Because the children that are going to be theirs to teach in, various, in just so many years are going to be nothing like what we're dealing with. Their technology is going to be second nature to them. Uh, technology, as um, as one of the gentlemen said in the ISTE uh, presentation, Keith, you and I were, oh, Michu Kaku, he said, uh, technology is going to be so abundant that it's going to be everywhere and yet nowhere because it's so common. Um, it's just like lighting. We don't consider lights anymore being a, oh, that's a really cool technology because they're everywhere. And because they're everywhere, they really end up just being nowhere out of our out of our conscious mind. And that's where technology is going to be for these children. Um, so uh, we're running out of time here a little bit. So I want to give each of you guys an opportunity to tell me what do you see as a future scenario in higher education? And what would you say to... Uh, those people in higher education that we need to do for our pre-service teachers to have them prepared for the classroom. Uh, let's start with uh, Keith and we'll let Lennon wrap it up. My hope is that we will see um, increasing opportunities for students to observe um, really excellent progressive pedagogy. I'd like to see more lab school scenarios. I'd especially like to see higher education get involved in facilitating uh, students at earlier and earlier stages of their undergraduate instruction, look at good quality progressive, you know, I, I dare say radical and revolutionary pedagogy in situ. Um, I don't think that that happens nearly often enough. And certainly my exposure 
um, to my first classroom was in a very, very, very traditional environment in which the teacher was making decisions that were, to this day, I maintain categorically improper for the students that I was teaching. I had French horn students who were being, I think, mishandled in that situation. Um, the opportunity to do more observation and to have a critical feedback, which I think educational technology is going to facilitate in ways that were not necessarily possible when I did my undergraduate in the 90s, uh, at least not at a reasonable cost. I think that's going to help us bridge some of those divides so that we're not experimenting on children because there are ethics involved there that should be obvious to everyone. But certainly I'd like to see higher education get more and more invested through augmented virtual realities, through distance learning situations, through body cams if need be, to look at what really excellent quality uh, progressive education looks like long before they get anywhere near a classroom. I wonder where simulations um, are going to come into play, where teachers could be working with uh, simulated classrooms and, you know, a situation pops up and the teacher has to deal with that within the simulator. Uh, that would certainly be an interesting way of uh, dealing with all kinds of things from behavior to teaching practices without, like you said, without affecting the real child. Uh, Lennon, let's hear your thoughts on this. I definitely agree uh, with Mr. Reeves that more observation time is necessary. And just to add on to that, while exploring these different ideas and philosophies and, and teaching uh, methods, ensuring that students have the opportunity and access to seeing all of those put into practice. So not just seeing what is considered best teaching, but being exposed to all of these different ideas and philosophies of teaching, whether it be Freire Nagotsky, who both saw learning as a social act, or, or any of the others, just making sure that exposure to the realities of the classroom is made available from the very beginning for young and uh, pre-service teachers. Excellent. Thank you both uh, so much for being here. Keith, again, is one of our founders on the Council of Future Education. I'm hoping we're going to get Lennon on board with us, too, and uh, he will soon be one of our members as well. Lennon, thank you so much for coming. You certainly yes, thank uh, you for sharing. Thank yes, you for having you me. And you give uh, Arizona State definitely a a good a good experience. I, I'm sure they appreciate having you on their on their rosters. Um, so, anyways, this is the Council on the Future of Education podcast on higher education. The Council on the Future of Education. Fire, frustration, and discord are burning in every city.